Episode 49 of the Coys R Us podcast. I've got Kim and Ben with me. My name is Joel. And we're back after another win, but also we're back after a loss. <laughs> another cup loss. I should have said it that way. Um, Bournemouth away, Spurs win. What was the final score there? 2 0. Spurs went 2-0. Fulham away for the second round of the Carabao Cup was a 1-1 draw, losing 5-3 on penalties. So there's a lot of conversation, I guess is the right word, or a lot of dissent, a lot of disgruntlement (laughs) over last night's results. So I guess the first price to start, um, and we'll get to Bournemouth, but there's probably less to talk about there. So um, we're coming off the heels of, of that Fulham loss. And Kim, we were in the group chat talking about uh, predictions for the game. And then the lineups dropped. And you said, I guess it's too late to change my prediction now. <laughs> yeah. What, yeah, no, what were mean... your thoughts when you saw that lineup? And how did that affect what you predicted? It was too many changes. I I I felt like it you you could you could probably replace like one of the I feel like you probably could have replaced one or two midfielders. I probably go for one. I think you could have made the changes on the front line. I think that's probably fine if you get more hold of the midfield. And then I probably would have not replaced three of the four defenders. I probably would have had at least like and then honestly, I didn't feel like we needed to replace the goalkeeper either. Um, I feel like, honestly, Forster's not like a ball-playing um, goalkeeper, so you're not really keeping the same level of intensity you would have from a goalkeeper in terms of how they move the ball. So you sl- we slowed the ball down like kind of everywhere, and then it just looked like last year again. So... I just feel like you can you can pull out and and change a couple people here and there, but when you make such drastic changes, if those players are not directly suited to your system, it can look like this. For the record, there were nine changes from the winning team against Bournemouth. So the only remaining starters were Richarlison and Van de Ven. As replacements, he brought in Fraser Forster, Emerson Royale, Davidson Sanchez. Ben Davis, Ivan Perisic, Pierre Emil Hoybier, Ali Skip, Manor Solomon, and Gio Lacelso, which to your point is probably too many. He was asked specifically after the Bournemouth match about the cups, about the lineups, and about taking the game seriously. Um, and the question that was put to him was basically like, Are you going to take the cup seriously? A lot of Spurs fans feel like previous managers have not. They have not performed well. Um, We did get to that one Carabao Cup final. I think it was 2020 um, or 2021. But outside of that, um, and especially off the heels of last year, I think one of the biggest complaints about Conte's approach was that he did not take those games seriously. And his response was, 
yes, I take every game seriously. Every game I go in, I want to win. Um, I don't believe in this A team, B team thing. Everybody who's here is on the team and everybody needs to contribute towards our larger goal. And then last night happened. So with that now in retrospect, Ben, do you feel like he took the game seriously? Uh, I mean, I, I guess he's trying to show he had faith in the players. I, I think, I mean, full disclosure, I ended up not watching the game because <laughs> I was, uh, I think like you, Joel, I was busy with work when it when it was live. And so my plan was to watch it later and I unintentionally got spoiled and <laughs> hard to put in, to force myself to uh to watch a you didn't you didn't of, miss much it was yeah, a pretty kinda, much uh nothing of a game there wasn't i mean essentially fulham dominated the first half we looked like a team of players that had not played together all season <laughs> which is exactly what they were um just a, yeah. yeah and then the second half we we showed a little bit more promise he subbed in some of the starters in the last 10 minutes trying to find a winner and ultimately didn't yeah, no, it sounds like just from kind of reading other people's reactions that Sanchez had a pretty bad game even before the penalty miss. Um, yeah, and I don't know why. Yeah. I don't know why he's taking penalties. I. It sounds like one of the players that we missed the most though was Basuma. Just we didn't have that six to kind of break their press. <clears throat> just again from reading other people's thoughts on it, I, I, I think that obviously we we missed uh, the creativity of Madison. It sounds like Celso wasn't exactly a great stand-in for that. But I think that I think that in some ways Basuma's um, role might be the toughest to have a backup for at least right now. I, I still just cannot imagine either Skip or Hoybier with that much pressure on them. Who's playing in the six anyway? It was Hoybier. It was Hoybier. Played. Uh, he played with um, Skip and who was it? Uh, Skip and Lasso in midfield. Yeah, and so. Like I said, I, I didn't watch, so I didn't actually see, but how did Hoybier deal with the pressure with, with having people right up on him as soon as he turned? How did he How did he deal with it for the past three years? Yeah, passed backwards. He passed back, <laughs> he passed to the side, and he didn't try anything um, advancing. Yeah. And I think my big issue, well, obviously we lost, and I was reading some of the quotes from the post-game presser where Andrew was basically saying that, like, Listen, we don't have European Cup competition. I'm not going to experiment in the Premier League. So if I want to see how all these other guys who are going to have to put in a shift they are going to do, this was the best opportunity for them to do it. Again, to Kim's point, I think there was too much of a rotation. He could have maybe rotated five, even maybe six guys. But once you're rotating nine out of 11, it's probably a little bit too much. My biggest takeaway, particularly from the first half, was that Ange's system in the Premier League games that we've won and drawn thus far, the system works because you have players that can not only pass forward, unlike Hoybier, but also players that can beat a man. Um, so when you're thinking about Basuma, you're thinking about Kulisevsky, you're thinking about James Madison, you're thinking about Destiny Udogi. All of these are guys that can get the ball at their feet and beat their man and advance play. The lineup that we started, there was not a single player in the 11 who can beat who can beat a man. So essentially, every time a ball came to somebody, it would be like them looking around and trying to find a pass, but not 
having no ball playing ability to be able to actually create something on their own. And so all you had was a bunch of like stagnant passing and it looked very similar to the teams that we saw like against Sheffield United last season. It was it was almost the exact same football. The only difference was the wingbacks were inverted. <laughs> so like they were taking up different positions on the pitch, but they still weren't able to play the football that they've been playing in the Premier League because to your point, there was no Basuma there, there was no Sar, there was no Udogi, there was no Madison. And I'm not at a point yet where I'm starting to question the manager. I feel like people have gone from like singing his name, everybody reposting the Robbie Williams tweet to two days later and everybody saying, what is this guy doing? Uh, I think the reactions have been actually a little bit. I don't know. I, maybe this is me. Maybe this is just my own perspective on this. But like, I'm not that upset about us losing in the Carabao Cup. I don't know. Maybe it's because I didn't really think we were going to win the trophy anyway. Um, but like for me, if I look at the Premier League, the Carabao Cup and the FA Cup, this is clearly the least important of the three competitions that we're in. And I don't know. We lost to a Premier League side after a tie, even having played a really weakened lineup. I mean, I don't know. And on the road too, right? Yes. Yes. So yeah, now, to, to answer to answer your earlier question though, was he taking it seriously? I guess it I, only time will tell because we I think he said something in a press conference afterwards about needing to know, you know, what players were capable of that. Yeah. Yeah. So I get that. Um, but maybe to your guys' point from earlier is don't do nine all at the same time. Try five. You know, how about five <laughs> rotating? I, I like the idea of squad rotation. This kind of reminds me actually of Pochettino, where he almost had like an A team and an E team. And he would completely swap out the entire team. And they don't play enough together to have, you know, the uh, – the kind of relationships built to understand how they're playing. So I think throwing so many um, new pieces at it at the same time, to me, I, I wouldn't say that he was throwing it away or that he wasn't trying, but he did seem like he was tinkering quite a bit. And maybe it's because his thinking, his thought process is similar to yours, which is this is the one competition we don't care that much about. Um but well, since we since we were maybe maybe you, he doesn't. But uh, fans were very upset last night and continue yeah, to be very upset based on what I was seeing on social media this morning as well. That's not a, that's not a shocker, though. I mean, no, of course that, not. You, yeah. You know, that um, there's going to be a loud uh, contingent whenever any kind of extreme result based, especially on that kind of, uh, you know, management is going to get people. I mean, I think the other thing, too, up. is that, like, going into this season, we all we all talked about the fact that it would be a bit of a bumpy ride. There'd be some rough patches. We started the Premier League season probably better than everyone expected. And now the first time that we lose a game, people are having a meltdown. And it was a draw if that's a Saturday or Sunday. When like, I don't know. Like, one goal conceded was an own goal, too, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean... It sucks. I wish we could have won on penalties, but I 
also am not that I'm not that concerned about the caribou cup. <laughs> I I think that it would it, it would have been nice to have obviously a, a, a chance of the, a trophy and also just to have more matches. Like we're really gonna have the what's the opposite of fixture congestion is like I mean <laughs> the I think some fans wanted to have some midweek games because you know when things are going well you don't want to have to wait an entire week to watch Spurs again. So I think there's there's some of that. And like I said, I, I totally understand being upset with the amount of rotation. That turnover just seems a little a little risky, you know. But he's the, the thing is that he so far has had made some risky decisions, and they've all come off really well, throwing Poro and uh, Udogi in at the same time. Seemed like yeah. a risk to a lot of people. It worked. Um, you know, I – I don't know. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna still have faith in in Postacoglu until, well, things things would have to go pretty sideways before I would start to lose faith in him. Um, but Agreed. hopefully, yeah, hopefully he'll learn from that though and not do the same thing in the FA Cup is what I would say. Yeah, and you imagine that some of the players, depending on what happens with the transfer window, might not even still be around by the time we get to the FA Cup games, um, which is not going to be till I think the first week of January. Yeah. Um, I heard today that if we were to get to the FA Cup final, uh, we'd still only have a maximum of 40 games left in the season. So I don't think there's really going to be much of a need for a lot of rotation now that we're out of the Carabao Cup. He made the point that he wanted to see what these players can do. Well, I guess hopefully now he's seen the fact that like, you really only have X amount of players that can create their own space and play the ball forward, which means a couple of things. Number one, you you can't rotate nine players at once. But number two, I wonder what this says about our bench, uh, the flexibility that we're supposed to have with two, two options at every position. That's theoretically true, but I don't know how true that actually is if we're going to play this system because – a lot of the players like your Hoybiers and your Sanchez's just can't do the things that the starters do. Again, but on the bright side, w- if, if we only have 40 games, we probably don't need to rotate that much anyway, unless somebody gets hurt and then we're going to be screwed. But I'll say yeah. like you can put a Sanchez in when you have the rest of the first team around him and right. it probably yeah. doesn't like derail what you want to do. You could especially put- the keeper. <laughs> And I mean, the way that the way that we exactly if I feel like if Vicario was out there, the ball would have snapped into Sanchez faster. He would have also then got rid of it faster. I feel like some of this stuff can be a knock on effect. And I feel like you can drop Hoiberg in there as long as you have Madison who can take the ball on and you have Saar in there who will also do that. Like you don't have to have three people that do it in the midfield to have a functioning midfield. But like I said, we just did. We just replaced too many of the good things in the team. And we yeah. got rid of the players who you say did want to take people on. Like I say, you can, those players can still be around the team and they can develop their ability to do some of these things. Like every, there's a, individuals in the team who are young, who are not a finished product. And it's not to say that they can't develop some of their skills to be able to better suit this system. But I just feel like some of this stuff you have to give time. And also, like I say, the biggest problem was he just tried to do too much at one time. And if we had a team that had more technical players, if we had a better bench, then he he probably could have got away with this. But it just goes to show where we are as a team. Like there does need to be 
some people who were playing yesterday who are no longer on the team. And that might not happen in this window, but it will happen eventually, I feel. What, and for the center backs in particular, can you imagine the difference between having a goalkeeper like Vicario and then a six like Basuma to get you out of trouble versus Hoybier and Frazier Forster? I mean, like the the impact, to like you're saying, to Sanchez, that definitely is a knock-on effect. He's going to be a lot less comfortable with those two as his, you know, kind of his his first outlets. At least Vandeven was in there, but uh, that's pretty rough. To, to, to the, the drop off, especially really for uh, the goalkeeper, even um, is probably even a bigger drop off for Vicario to Forster in terms of ball playing. And then, yeah, Hoybier does not instill confidence in terms of, uh, you know, ex- accepting a pass with, with pressure at his back. <laughs> you know, yeah, that's just no. not his thing. <laughs> you know, it, it, it reminds me of those. You know, also... the ball's coming right back to you. He, he right. mean, and, and the other part of, of Angie's You and the defender is... know. Yeah, I mean the the other part of Ange's offense is taking the risk, taking the chance, and he has shown passing range over this, this his time with Spurs. The problem is that he doesn't attempt those passes often enough. Um, I think he's more he of needs, a safe. He hand. needs the space. Well, he needs the space to be able to do it. So if he he's has other say, players, uh... if there are other players on the field that are creating space for him and giving him the space to do this, he can do it. Like I like I there was some stuff that he did when Ange made changes against Born Bournemouth, and I was like, okay, this is where I can see Horberg being like effective coming on, but there's still other players on the field who can help create space for him. Yeah, He's not gonna create his when, own space. Bring him on when the other team's too tired to press, <laughs> you know. That's well, I feel too. like Hoybier can 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 settle things down a little bit, but yeah, having the forward thrust and being able to break a press is just that's not his game. It, one thing though, it reminded me of actually when we were talking about how seriously he takes this is and the transfer window coming up is in the Conte and Mourinho eras, we would have said, is this him, you know, kind of taking a dig at the front office and saying, This is what I've got on my bench. Like I need better. <laughs> is this him almost? I doubt it just because he doesn't seem as spiteful uh, when I, he, I mean, post but I feel like in the past there would have been conspiracy theories, at least that this is the the manager kind of like showing the front office, the chairman that we don't have the depth that we need. I mean, I, I hope he's not that cynical already after only two months on the job, but. Um, Tottenham will do it, do him what, do a number on you, man. Yeah. I think, like to think that he's and again like very early um i think we've really only seen positive things from this guy thus far outside of yesterday's lineup i'd like to think that he's savvy enough to know what kind of job he was getting himself into not that he would have turned it down anyway because you know that's a big promotion for him but it seems that he knew what was going on with the Kane situation so that wasn't a curveball and i think if he's coming to a club, you'd like to think that maybe he did a little bit of research to figure out like what went wrong with the past managers that came here. What am I going to be looking at? And transfers and our options on the bench have been a longstanding issue that I can't imagine would have like taken him by surprise after he started so working here. You you guys did both watch the game, right? Yes. Yeah. So, so the takeaway I would ask is who from yesterday's game would you just say is almost immediately just they can't be here anymore? Because I know that Davison Sanchez got a lot of flack 
Um, but as we just talked about, that's that there's a knock on effect from who he's playing with. I just wonder, were, were there any people, any players out there yesterday that were just like, OK, that's kind of a lot. The last straw type thing. I don't think I'd say that about anybody except for maybe Sanchez. I mean, a lot of players had bad games, um, including Perisic and Richarlison, who ironically hooked up for the one goal that we did score. I did want to talk briefly about Lacelso because there was a lot of conversation about who would be in that 10 slot if Madison was hurt. He ended up not being hurt against Bournemouth. Lacelso started this game but was yanked at halftime and Dane Scarlett came on for the second half, which I think, you know, he didn't do enough to create. We didn't really create much of anything for the entire first 45 minutes. But I think to Kim's point, like, he's also in a midfield with Skip and Hoy here. Um, well, getting getting yanked at halftime seems like a statement most of the time. It might not be. It might just be a tactical thing. But, like, was was he was he bad enough to, to warrant being? Uh, no, I don't think so. And that that's mm-hmm. kind of what I was saying is, like, I still feel like he hasn't been put in a ton of situations to thrive. Like, what if LaCelso's in a midfield with Sar and Bissuma? Like, maybe we're seeing a better side of LaCelso than the one that's being given the ball with a bunch of guys that can't dribble and being told, create something. And Richarlison just standing around waiting for the ball to come to his feet so he could lose it. Like, I don't know. I don't know how much I'm putting on LaCelso, especially for him really not having played much of I don't think he's played at all this season, has he? Um got a he got a sub against Bournemouth. That was it. Yeah, he okay. did get a cameo against he got yeah, like I 20 minutes and I thought I he didn't even decent. remember that. Um so yeah, like I I don't know that I saw enough of him to say I mean the only person that I would say like maybe we don't need to see much of him again is, is Sanchez and all signs point to the fact that we will because He's ahead he's of our, Dyer and Tanganga in the pecking best, order. Yeah, so he's like third best center half. And uh, you know, some club came for him for for nine million euros, and the club turned the offer down and said they want at least fifteen for him. So it seems like it's one of those situations where if they're not going to sell him for the price that they want, that he's probably going to be playing for us. Um, and if one of our starting center backs gets hurt, he's probably going to be the first one slotted in. That does not make me happy or comfortable. We talked about this weeks ago when we uh, were talking about transfers, about the fact that, like, if we were going to get anybody in, we I, I'd really want us to get another center back so that we're not relying on Davinson Sanchez. That doesn't look like it's going to happen. Well, who's even fourth right now? Who's, who's the fourth center back? I mean, we don't even know. We don't know. I guess it's whoever's still here uh, on Friday between Tanganga and Dyer, if either of them are here, or they might both be here. Uh, that that That's all a mess. Did any player from the starting lineup stand out to you, Kim, either positively or negatively? I'm trying to think where I felt like stuff changed in that game. I was watching it while I was at work, so was not as glued into it. Um, but I think like what I saw of Dane Scarlett when other players who could play with the ball were on the pitch. I, I thought he looked decent. Was he playing um, as a 10? Before. Cause he got subbed on for the Celso, right? I think he was, but I feel like, I mean, I, the thing that I did 
Phil got better when he got on, at least, was the pressing was more focused. And I feel like we started to get the ball more because our team in general was pressing just a little better. And he had moments where he was just like a step behind. And you feel like if he was, if he gets more game time, you know, that kind of like just counting on the ball just gets a little better. He was like close to, I felt like, a potentially like being able to put something back into the box like it was it was just like one step behind and you just wonder with more repetition if that kind of stuff will figure itself out but he didn't look out of place on the pitch either I think that's the thing like I feel like for the first 20 minutes he was on the pitch I don't feel like he got really got on the ball but once we were able to get more of the ball you could see him being more involved in ways that I, I feel like could eventually be useful for the team so I guess that's one person I would point out well I also feel like Richarlison, who finally got his first goal of the season, I think that goal kind of saved his performance. I thought he was really poor. Uh, He stood out to me actually more than Dav did in terms of just how much he was losing the ball, tripping over himself. You know, this guy spends half the game on the ground for whatever reason, whether he's aiming to get a foul call or he's tripping over himself. Um, It seems like he's forcing the issue a bit as well, because obviously he feels bad about not scoring. I felt the same way in the Bournemouth game. Like I was just, I don't know the, the last three games, probably I've really, I've begun to lose my confidence. Um, I know it's very early. It's still August. There's still at least 40 more games left. Um, you know what Richarlison well, should do to change his, yeah. his mojo? Should get a new haircut. Just change the hairstyle. Well, he's he's changed his hair uh, a lot. He's changed his hair more times than he scored goals. <laughs> so I don't know how much that's going to help. But um, yeah, I don't know. I I I think it goes back to what we were talking about earlier with guys being able to kind of play with the ball at their feet. I feel like for him to kind of be the primary offensive player that's going to press the center backs. He's in a position a lot of times where it's required for him to have hold up play and he can't hold the ball up. His first touch is bad. It bounces off his foot. It turns over. Then he's scrambling to try to win the ball back. He fouls him by like, I don't want to completely lose confidence this early in the season, but I'm, I'm having a hard time seeing how his skill set fits into this team other than him getting to the end of headers, which is exactly how he scored last night. And if that's all we're going to be asking him to do is pressure the center backs and head the ball, then great. But um, everything outside of that has looked pretty much a mess for me. Uh, how are you guys feeling about Richie? Where's the confidence level? And am I overreacting? No, I, th- I think I'm pretty much in the same space. <clears throat> I, I, I do know it's early. I want to give him some time. Um, you know, it, it takes a little while sometimes to, it seems like a striker in, in particular is a, a position where you really have to have confidence. And he ab- obviously does not have that right now. You can tell he's feeling the pressure, feel a little, you know, feel a little bad for the guy. Really. You can tell that when he was talking about how he can't be Harry Kane, I mean, it's good that he can realize that. And, and but I don't think can, anybody's asking him to do that. Though. Exactly. Hopefully, that's what I'm saying is hopefully he can realize that uh, more, more fully so that he can take a step back and say, I just need to be a piece of this team that's productive and not replace that kind of production. And uh, hopefully he's not 
you know, like I said, he, he appears to be aware of that, but hopefully he can put that to good use in terms of, of not feeling that much pressure and just trying to be a, a, a cog in the machine that is Spurs now instead of the Harry Kane team. Ange was also asked about Richie after the game yesterday. He said, you know, he scored his goal, and I'm sure a lot of you guys are going to be focusing on that. But he said, you know, I actually thought Richie played worse today than he had in the three games prior where he didn't score. So he's got to understand that his role, yes, part of it is scoring goals, but the rest of it is also about playing towards the greater good of the team and he didn't really do a good job of that today, which I was a little surprised to hear him say, but I completely agree because I thought he looked really bad yesterday myself as well. Yeah. I would say against Bournemouth, like his, I feel like his first half, he was making like good runs. Um, But I, I do feel like the thing about him that's really been the most bothersome is you pass the ball into him and it's bouncing off and it's, it's no. hitting the the other players and it's going the other way. And it's just like the very you can't play things. to his feet. Yeah. You can't play to play to space. And that's the whole this, problem. Yeah. I was like in this, um, in this system, obviously there are going to be times where you can play into space, but we can't just play into space. Like, and there's going to be less of those opportunities. That's, that's the yes. actual problem. If he was playing on the wing, which maybe that's going to be ultimately where he ends up before the end of this season. But if he was playing on a wing, I feel like he would have more of that space to create and take on the ball while he's already moving downhill. But when you're asking him to kind of hunker down, hold up play and then play it out, like he can't even hold it up. I don't understand. Like, I don't understand how this is going to work. And we've seen, I mean, against Bournemouth, he got yanked in the 60th minute um, for, who was it, for Perisic. And then they moved Sonny into the middle. So I do wonder, like, how much longer do we hold on to this experiment before we just decide that, like, bro, you're going to just be a winger and we'll give you spot minutes at striker, but, like, we're not doing this every game. Because I, he just, he's failing this assignment right now. And again... We've got plenty of games left, but right now it's not looking good. Should we talk Bournemouth for a little bit? It feels like yeah. a long time ago now, yeah. even though it right was... now a conversation a little uh, bit. Bournemouth I zero. Rewatched it today. On... Oh, there you go. Well, maybe you on... should uh, lead this conversation. Lead this conversation. Yeah, you probably I would remember re- it better than I did. That though, than than watch the game from yesterday. Yeah, no. So with Bournemouth, uh, we started off really well. Um, we were able to keep hold of the ball. Um, Bournemouth presses very highly. That's their, you know, something they've instituted this year is they're really going to be pressing the ball. So, you know, they had their pressing triggers, but we seemed very prepared for when they would press, how they'd press, and how we'd move the ball. But the thing that stood out to me the most was just how snappy the back line moved the ball between each other, um, how snappily um, the midfielders moved the ball along too. It's like everybody was confident about how they took the ball and how they moved the ball. It just seemed like everyone had just such precision on how they wanted to do it and how it um, actually came off. And obviously there are points in that game, like, again, we were trying to get the ball up to Richie and things didn't always happen there, but 
you see when the midfield got a hold of it and were able to progress it forward either by their own passes or through um, their ability to actually run with the ball. You saw Vandeven do some of that, get the ball into midfield. Yeah, it just seemed like everyone sort of knew their assignment and played it to perfection against Bournemouth. Um, and, you know, there were moments where I feel like we obviously we couldn't do that. Um, there were moments where Bournemouth were just good with their pressing, like Semenyo, that kid Semenyo just got on the ball at times and was just like driving at us, trying to put in shots, trying to do things. Um, so I'm just, I don't, it's not that I think Bournemouth is a bad team. I just felt like we sort of came in with a good game plan and our team played well to that game plan. But who did you guys feel like stood out to you guys in that game? I mean, Basuma again was was good. Kulisevsky was good. Bakario. I, I, I mean, there were there were a lot of good. There's a lot of good play in that game. Poro was really good again. Um, again, Vanavan was was really good at. It's crazy how good he is actually to just come in at how old is he? Twenty two or something, and have like two practice sessions, and then he's just a real. He's start. a real. He's a real star. For sure. Yeah. He's, I mean, even he's, even yesterday in the game that you conveniently missed, um, he was doing <laughs> a good job with Adama Traore, who, you know, is fast as a bullet. And he's speeding past our wingbacks like he's basically leaving them in the dust. And Van de Ven on multiple occasions basically had to, like, catch up to him and, and put it in the block. And I cannot recall ever since I've been watching Traore ever us having a center back that could Definitely catch up and like, no. yeah, like it, it's it's pretty incredible that man yeah. would mix our center backs consistently <laughs> yeah yeah I yeah mean, now van event's kind of a freak though uh in terms of his 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 physical like how how is he that big and that fast that's like, I mean, what position would he play in the NFL? That he'd be like a tight end, maybe, or I and guess not, probably wide receiver. But, I just but, feel like he's not just big and fast, but he's actually like nimble too. Which is yeah. like, it just feels like you shouldn't be able to put all of those things into one, <laughs> like one center back. Yeah, um, he seems like he could all play almost any position on the field too. I mean, obviously, I don't really know, but he seems comfortable with the ball at his feet. He seems comfortable under pressure. He's obviously really quick. He seems pretty. I mean, it's small sample size, but. So far, he he has had two own goals, but neither of those were his fault. You know, it sounded like again, I it sounded like the one was was more Sanchez's fault, the one from yesterday. And then I'm trying to even remember what happened in that very first game. There was an own goal. It was a shot uh, from outside the box. He tried to block it, and I yeah. it like bounced off his unlucky deflection. Like yeah, yeah. But yeah, I would say I mean it's the same standout. But obviously, Madison was fantastic. Um, it was really good to see Kulisevsky get on the score sheet. And I thought, I thought he looked good. I thought some looked good. Uh, yeah. the only, play, it's like you were asking who the standouts, like everybody except for Richarlison and Richarlison wasn't even terrible in that game. He just, it was a little unlucky. And then you could see when he, he had, there were a couple moves he had that you, you could just see the confidence sapping away from him. The one was obviously where he stepped on the ball. In like midfield and just fell over, and then but it's but it's like bro, you're doing too much. I know, know. but then there was also the one where he he had a uh, you know he had a uh, I don't I can't remember what I think it was a two v one and he dribbled through it. He got really unlucky because I think could have been he got around the he got around the goalkeeper. Is that the one where he got around the goalkeeper and then yeah and then the, the defender slid in and handled it and. 
in past seasons, that definitely would have been a handball. Cause even though it was unintentional, it changed the outcome of that play. Like that's, that's, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. That, that one puzzled me a little bit, but there have been back and forth on those uh, for us too. We've, we've gotten lucky. I mean, there was the, there was the Romero challenge that could have been a red card. Um, that guy yeah. is just a walking red card waiting to happen really. But I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's coming. It, they're they're letting them play it. though this year. It seems like it seems like the uh, the referees are, are are being pretty lenient in terms of of. I mean, we'll see. We'll get away with stuff. We know so that that has hurts. not been. Yeah, that is not the refereeing. Not consistent. for better or for worse. Yeah, it's not going to be consistent for ten months. The season is just too long. First yeah. of all, and there's just too many different guys who are going to call the game the way that they see. Well, this it. is where this is where VAR though should it should not be. Like I, I don't. I'm sure you guys saw the the whole thing. It was at Mike Dean where he basically didn't want to to overrule a call because it was his friend. <laughs> you know, like the, the VAR official probably should not be coming from the same pool of officials that are you know refereeing games. They probably should have that be an outside third party, um, so that they don't feel any kind of pressure to to not you know say their friend did a bad job or whatever it is, their buddy. Uh, it, to me, it's crazy that you would have that happen at that level. Yeah, where... it's tough, though, because you still want Premier League referees to be able to call these games. And so what, I mean, if, they, I what if they got like Italian referees to do bar, like the referees from another country, like how they do with uh, international matches? I know that's well, they, uh, yeah, they're they're part of a different organization. So well, uh, and then an, another part would be to to analyze it as if they're seeing it for the first time. The whole clear and obvious thing is yeah, to 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 make it to overturn something has to be that it was obviously a mistake. Yeah. I feel like it's not a great way to look at it. Well, this is similar to what we see in the in the NBA and the WNBA, uh, where it's like if a play gets called and then you do a instant replay review. It's a situation where it's like the replay needs to clearly show that my call was wrong. And if it's on the fence, then the call stands, which in theory makes sense. But I also feel like it would make more sense to go in with a clean slate because I think there's also referee pride is at is at stake, right? Like they don't want to stand up in front of, 70,000 people and be like, my call was incorrect. And so more times than not, they're going to be looking and saying like, if it's close, then my call was right. And if it's Wait, not so, completely but, obvious, then I'm not changing anything. Um, well, and so the other, the other problem you- with VAR, I think just real quick is the fact that they don't even have an option. Like at least in the NBA or the WNBA, you have like a coach's a challenge. challenge. Where you can say yeah. like, "Hey, I need you to review this," and if and if I'm wrong, it costs me a timeout. Well, obviously, football doesn't have any timeouts. Cost you a coach's challenge. And furthermore, I find that head referees do not often enough take the onus to review of our challenge. It's almost like they're waiting for the earpiece to tell them that they have to look at it. In which case, you know, it's probably going to be overturned because he's not going to tell you to take a look unless he thinks you got it wrong. So if they don't tell the ref to take a look, he's not going to take a look, and he's going to assume that the call that he made was right, even though in some of those instances, if he did take a look, he might overturn the call. 
but he's not going to make that call on his own. And I, I'm, I'm not even clear enough on the rules to know if they have the wherewithal to do that or if they have to wait for the VAR ref to. T- so it's just, I don't know. I don't VAR's think in a better place now than it was three or four years ago when they start first implemented it. But there's still, there's still a lot to be done. I'm complaining wow. about it a lot less than I used to. So there's that. Well, I am a hundred percent with you know, that there should be some form of challenge. They, the, the teams should each get one or two per match where they can challenge. And I don't know if you lose a sub or what exactly. Maybe you don't lose that's anything. Just, you just that's have, an interesting idea. Yeah, or even if you, you just go from you have five challenges. subs to four. Yeah, that could be. You got five be, subs. I feel like people would be more willing. They to, won't be worried. You know, play fast and loose with the subs. So, but so, might. but real quick. Just because, like you brought this up, is who is it that does the reviews in like NFL and NBA? It's not other officials that are off that night, right? No. Like, so what a, they like what a league they office. Do, yeah, what they do is they just show the tape. It's not like another person that's sending a message to the head referee at an NBA game and saying like, "Hey, you should check that out." If there's no challenge, then they just don't. <laughs> Uh, but if there is a challenge, then what they do is basically like whoever the TV producer is who's showing the game, they'll find different views of that clip, rewind it to the referee's liking, right. and then the ref just makes the call. So there's not like another set of refs that's reviewing. I think that that would probably be a better system, to be honest. Or I mean, I think it almost definitely is. I feel like the review system can be a little tedious here, but... I think it's better in American sports than it is in, in soccer. And I think it's better in, in other, uh, like in rugby though, too. Like I, I mean, think I, that they, yeah. I think the chief debate with this sport specifically is, do you want everything to be a hundred percent accurate or do you want the game to flow? I think we're also seeing a little bit of that tension now with these like 11 minute stoppage times, right? Like this is, I think the sports world all together, not just in soccer, but basketball, football, baseball, they all seem to be leaning towards this sense of gaining more accuracy, even if that interrupts the entertainment value of the actual sport. I mean, from my cynical perspective, that has a lot to do with the fact that everybody's gambling now. So (laughs) there's a lot more money behind whether or not calls are right or wrong. 20 years ago, did you have fun? Yes or no? All right, who gives a damn? But now that everybody's betting on everything, I think there's a lot more pressure on league offices to make sure that they're getting stuff right. I think part of the issue with uh, with soccer versus American sports is something I think we brought up many podcasts ago, but <clears throat> the fact that you basically have one referee, I know there's side judges and and you know there's a technically four officials per match, but basically you have one dude that's the, the actually the ref of almost everything, except for like, you know, out of bounds calls, some fouls that happen close to the line judges or whatever they're Offsides called. Offsides. But yeah, yeah. But in American sports, it's a crew of of refs or umpires. And so there's not one guy that's his ego is kind of like at stake with making a bad call. They can confer about calls and talk to each other. I mean, I think it would probably help to have more referees to be honest like more refs kind of running around patrolling the area instead of one dude because 
like you were saying earlier, uh, a ref might take it personally that he got the call wrong. But the dude doesn't have eyes in the back of his head. He's obviously going to have uh, an obstructed view on some plays. There's, it, it's just, it's, it's kind of ridiculous to expect one individual at the speed that they're playing, the size of the pitch, the amount of players, everything else to get every call right doesn't make like that's not really possible. I I, I do wish that they could could uh, put in a system that's a little bit more similar to what we see in the NBA and the NFL, where you you just have an, an office of Premier League whatevers that say, take another look at that. And it's not a VAR review where there's somebody that has to, again, have um, an, a clear and obvious mistake to to even look at something. Well, it's still August. Uh, so, you know, we might have gotten away with one with the uh, Kuti tackle, but I'm sure there's going to be Plenty others that will go for and against our favor. And this, I imagine this is not going to be the last time we're talking about VAR, the referees. Uh, looking ahead to the weekend, we've got another game. By the time you hear this, it'll be two days away on Saturday against Burnley away. Uh, another away match before we finally come back home after the uh, short international break. So this is going to be the last Premier League match for two weeks. There will be a short break before uh, we play again on September 16th. Before we talk about Burnley, uh, what's going to happen before the Burnley match is going to be the end of the transfer window. We started this transfer window off strong with the Madison signing. There was a bit of a lull. We were worried about whether or not we were going to sell Harry Kane, whether or not we were going to bring in a center back. We did both of those things with Harry going to Bayern and then us buying Van de Ven. So now we've got basically a day and a half left in this window. Um, I, we talked earlier about the Davinson Sanchez situation. Uh, Tangi and Domblay was supposed to go on loan somewhere, but he something fell apart with that, and now they're trying to loan him out somewhere else. There was some rumor that popped up today about us looking at potentially loaning, uh, signing a loan deal for Ansu Fati, but then that got hijacked, and now he's going to Brighton. The Brendan Johnson thing is still up in the air. The window's almost over, so you know I can finally give Fabrizio Romano's Twitter page a rest after uh, Friday. But what are you hoping to see happen? Not even expecting at this point, because I mean, who knows? But what are you hoping to see over the course of the next day and a half? I hope to see some players get out on a loan or um, be sold soon. You know, that would be nice. And I hope we at least see one attacker come in. That I feel like it's kind of necessary um, just to have one more guy who can either play on the wing or play at striker. We need just some depth, I think, up front still. I'm just not that comfortable with the options there. Yeah, it's going to it's gonna have to be a crazy last day of the window, it seems like, just because how many outgoings we're going to have. I mean, I guess that happened the last couple of years, too, and it ended up just being a bunch of loans. But how many – I mean, we still need to get rid of at least, what, like, five or six players, and that's ignoring any injuries. At least. Right. So it's going to be probably, I would think, even more of a flurry of activity in this last day of the window, last couple of days, probably the last day of the window. There, it always ends up that way anyway, but – I feel like this this year in particular, a lot of it is just because the English clubs are so much richer than all the other like continental European clubs. Like almost any player going to Europe is alone, a um, and 
you have mid table teams buying 50, 60 million pound players. Like it's just a very different economic world in, in European football than it was five years ago, especially like 10 years ago. Um, yeah. I mean, it used to be that like Real Madrid, Barcelona, and then obviously the, the big teams, in the premier league could just get anybody they wanted. Um, and it's just not that way anymore. And it, it makes it really hard for teams like us in particular, I think kind of the, the, the second tier of the premier league to offload players because you know, who do we sell to <laughs> who, who wants these players that have apparently proven failures? Well, I think the, the other problem is that we have been hesitant to take losses on players. I mean, we talked about the the Davinson Sanchez situation where a team is willing to come in for for nine million euros, which obviously is kind of a low ball. But if the if the alternative option is to loan him out for a year, for him to leave on a free next summer anyway, I mean it is nine million euros worse than zero? Like I I think at a certain point you can't keep looking for the best deal especially not on august 30th like if i'm i'm looking at our roster now and thinking about who needs to go this window we've got hugo we don't know what the hell's going on with him sergio regulon haven't heard that name in a long time davinson sanchez maybe eric dyer and jaffa tanganga probably jed spence has already gone out on loan to uh leads he just signed today i believe um then you've still got Tangi and Dombele, who I said earlier, um, he had a deal with Genoa that I think he rejected. And now Inter have started asking questions about him, um, but he's not their only option. So who knows? And then uh, you still got to figure out what you're doing with Eleo Valise. Is he going to stick around? Or are we going to loan him out? Uh, Dane Scarlett is also in a similar situation as well. So, yeah. Uh, and then, you know, you still got players like Brian Hill who probably aren't going anywhere now that he's injured. So now we're kind of still going to have him taking up space on the roster. But is he going to play? Uh, I mean, I don't know. Like I said, I think the bright side of this is the fact that if there is a bright side of us losing in the second round of the Carabao Cup, it's the fact that we'll potentially need fewer rotations moving forward and, and you can afford to put out a strong 11 every game because you don't have that many. In terms of incomings, you know, Kim mentioned hopefully bringing in another attacker. Again, that's all going to come down to whether or not we can get guys out the door. And I have my doubts about us being able to get anybody in without having at least a couple guys leave first. Personally, I'm concerned about the back line i mean i know that we're supposed to be playing this front forward foot forward football and that we're gonna have possession most of the game and blah 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 blah. but like i don't know i i think we have enough backup in midfield to be able to create um i have my concerns about richie but i'm probably more concerned about our center backs i think coming into the summer we all pretty much agreed that we needed two and we've only bought one. I would say center back is important too. I feel like those are the positions of most importance. And I and I feel like then if you would sell 
Hoiberg, I, I just feel like if you sell someone that we think might play, you have to replace them. So it's just like, how much time do we have to do all that? I'm just not sure. Yeah. We've got one day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do but, know how much time. <laughs> well, sorry, I, I just I'm concerned. If we'll get all that done. Yeah, no, it, I agree. I mean, we it would be really nice to have another center back, obviously. We've been talking about this for the whole windows, having – two reliable center backs uh, come in. Um, and then obviously, like we've talked about in ad nauseum now with Richarlison getting another forward, either as a striker or, you know, hopefully a more versatile forward. Um, but I I do worry about, like, we know, for instance, Basuma is going to miss how long just for the African Cup of Nations. So we're we'll really worried about too. Yeah, I, yeah, I really worry so... about what we're going to do with the six. To be honest, I think I think like based on what I know about some of the African countries, Basuma's team might not get that far in the tournament, so he might be the one that comes back earlier. SARS team, you can expect them to go pretty far. That's still, you know, I think to Ben's point, we're still going to need somebody to play that position, That's even true. if he's gone for a, a week or two. Um, and That's based on what we saw play- last night. Is he doggy an Italian international, or is he? Uh, is he Nigerian? I can't. He's Italian. Yeah, he right, played. I mean, he played for the Italian um, national. I don't know if he's been called up to the senior team, but he was in the under twenty ones um, this summer. So yeah, hopefully then he won't. Yeah, be, he hasn't uh, been called up to the first team yet. Okay. Well, speaking yeah, of I mean, national team breaks, we we have our first of many uh, international breaks coming up in September. Before that, we will have Burnley away before returning two weeks later to place Sheffield back in North London. So this is our last game before break. We have the bad taste of defeat in our mouths, but luckily still no defeat in the Premier League. Burnley are not doing so hot. This is their return to the Premier League after winning the championship last season. They have yet to gain a point. Uh, they are winless and without a draw in their first three matches of this. Oh, they've actually only played two matches this I was season. Say they have one that was um, postponed, but they played, they played Burnley. The Burnley lost to City three nil, and they lost to Villa three one. So they don't have any points, but they've also played two teams that were probably supposed to beat them: uh, Tottenham should make three, but they'll be hungry for points and playing at Turf Moor, which has proven to be a difficult away ground. So any volunteers to go first on the heels of Spurs' first loss? <laughs> Here, I'll, I'll take a stab at it. I think that – so this is a, a different look Burnley, though, right? It's in, it's in companies still. He's the, he's the manager there, and yep. I think he's playing more progressive. Burnley, the way I've thought of them since – I've been watching the Premier League has been basically a rugby team, you know, like Stoke and Burnley were the two that I always, you know, thought of as the, the, the Dice teams or uh, yep. Allardyce, one of those guys. I think that if they're going to try to play us, um, you know, in a, in a more attacking way, I think we can carve them up. Um, so yeah, I, I will go with three, one, maybe a little pet, a little optimistic given our, um, our forwards right now, but uh, I don't know. We've they each game we've been clicking a little bit more, other than obviously the the Fulham game, but that was such a, a turnover of the lineup. 
I'm not really going to count that in terms of our our form. So we'll go with Premier League form table. Uh, yeah, I I think I think there's a really good chance we could we could uh, put up a few on them. I think we'll probably surrender a goal just because you know we are playing <clears throat> with a lot of attacking players. Um, so far, it's it's worked out really well for us, but we have you know we've we've uh, we've gotten a little bit of luck there, especially in the United game to keep a clean sheet. So yeah, I'll I'll go three one. Um, I'm gonna go two one for a lot of the same reasons. Like I feel like we'll inevitably give up a goal, and um, I think we'll be able to score. I think we'll probably keep a hold of the game, but we've kind of shown that we're not really taking all of the chances we can and. I feel like that might continue until, you know, one of the strikers really gets going. Then you can probably feel like we then I would probably say we'd score three. Um, but for now I'm still not really seeing the team like fully clicking yet. So we'll see. Well, Ben, you talked about them playing a little bit more of a offensive brand of football. I I have not seen either of their first two matches, but they played Villa last week and it says they had 57% possession. They they lost the game 3-1, so they weren't able to create much opportunity. Their expected goals, um, shout out to Jesse, who's who's not able to join us, our, our, our XG uh, master, but their XG for the match was only 0.73. So despite having a lot of the ball and, you know, 528 passes, they weren't able to create very much. So I like our chances, I think, they're going to have a little bit of a rough time this season. And so this is also the part of the year where they're still figuring some things out. This is Vincent company's first time coaching in the premier league as well. I think it's going to be a little bit of a sloppy, messy, sticky game, but I think we ultimately win. I'm going to go Burnley zero Spurs one. Again, we can be followed on Twitter as well as on Instagram at Koizar Us Podcast. Uh, please feel free to reach out to us with any questions that we can use in next week's episode. I guess we'll might even have a little bit of a break after that with the international break, but we'll try to come back um, soon to at least discuss the outcome of the transfer window and the outcome of the Burnley game. Anything else before we go? I don't think so. That's a low scoring prediction, but come on, you Spurs. Hey, you know, sometimes you gotta, I I can't be saying two, three (laughs) goals every time, you know, like this is, if if I know nothing else about Spurs, I know that Spurs are very unpredictable. So I I can certainly see us scoring one and getting away with it. and, And, you know, as long as we take the three points, I'll be okay with it. My my predictions are much more like wish casts than actual uh, <laughs> well thought out predictions. What I hope will happen, not what I think will happen. What do Fair I enough. think will happen? Fair, that's how some people gamble too. You know, that's that's how they end up uh, in a. That's why I don't gamble. Gambles anonymous. <laughs> yep. All right, let's All do right. it. Come on, you Spurs! Come on, you Spurs! Come on, you Spurs! Come on, you Spurs.